Listen to this passage of Scripture, Psalm 121. The psalmist writes, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. And the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm, and he will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Again, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this beautiful psalm that we are going to look at this morning. It has been a favor to many through the years because of what it talks about. You are a God who watches over our life. You know everything about us and you care about us. You have a plan for our life and your will is best when we walk with you. What a joy and adventure life becomes when we follow the leading of your Holy Spirit and see you at work in us. May our hearts be in tune with that this morning as we look into your word. Teach us, show us what it is that you want us to do in response. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 121 has been called the Traveler's Psalm by many people. For example, David Livingston, the famous missionary and explorer in Africa, would read Psalm 121 and Psalm 135 before he would head out on his journey. It was a prayer of his that God would watch over his life and his ministry. And his mother-in-law, Mrs. Moffat, wrote him that Psalm 121 was always in her mind when she prayed for him. J.S. Watson, who was a rear admiral in the United States Navy, and he's the man who succeeded Admiral Dewey as commander of the Pacific Fleet, said that my favorite chapter is the Traveler's Psalm, Psalm 121. And verses 7 and 8 mean more to me than any other. There was a man in the military who would read and pray these verses of Scripture as he carried out his work. James Boyce, a pastor, wrote that his mother would gather their family to read Psalm 121 and pray before they would set out on a trip. And she also used that psalm and prayed for her children when they came to the age where they were going to be leaving home. May God watch over you, may he protect you, and may he keep you. And there are many different individuals who have used psalms like this. It has been a favorite of missionaries, of soldiers, and of travelers of all kinds. And why is that? Why is this psalm so significant to so many people? It is because of what it says about God's constant care and protection in our life. As I was looking at it, I thought it would be very appropriate for a summer Sunday. When many of us go on trips and are traveling at this time of year too, may it be a reminder to us to pray and to look to God for His care and protection in our life. There are several things that the psalmist affirms here about God. First of all, he tells us that the Lord is my helper. He is my helper. He's our helper. But I want you to personalize that when you read that. Can you say that of you, that God is my helper? And I look to Him in that way. You'll also notice in this psalm that under the uh, heading there, it says, A Song of Ascents. And this particular psalm is one of the ascent psalms. It's part of a collection of 15 psalms that go from Psalm 120 
to 134. And these psalms may have been used in a liturgical setting in the temple. They probably were used in that way. But even more likely, most believe that they were read and sung by pilgrims who were making their way to Jerusalem for one of the three main festivals, the festival of Passover or Pentecost or the Day of Atonement. And as these individuals and families would make their way toward Jerusalem, they would read and sing these psalms. And since Jerusalem is located in the hill country of Judea, you are always going up to Jerusalem. That's why they are songs of ascent. As you are ascending and making your way up toward Jerusalem, you would sing these psalms of praise, reminders of who God is and the blessings that He gives to life. If you were traveling by way of the Galilee and you came down the Jordan River Valley and then came to Jericho and made your way up to Jerusalem, you would have to go up about 4,300 feet over a distance of some 10 to 12 miles. And it wasn't a steady incline up. It was more of an up, down, up, down, up, down as you made your way through the hills there. It's interesting to think about that these psalms would have been sung by Mary and Joseph when they came to Jerusalem bringing Jesus. And they would have been sung by Jesus and the disciples too when they came to Jerusalem to remember the feasts that were established for Israel. When you think about travel, travel always involves some measure of risk. And before every trip that we go on, there can be feelings of both anxiety and anticipation. I think of the students that recently went to New York for the New York Gospel Outreach. I'm sure there was some of both for them. You know, they were excited about going to New York City. For many, it was the first time they had been there, you know, and they were going to see some pretty cool places like Times Square or Yankee Stadium or Ground Zero or go to Brooklyn and the Bronx and areas like that. But there were probably also some feelings of anxiety. You know, a little bit of concern. Am I going to be safe? Am I going to get lost? New York's a big city. How's it going to be getting on and off the subway? You know, when you fly out, maybe some concerns about flying if you've never done that before. Or maybe thoughts wondering, is there going to be another terrorist attack? I mean, we just don't know. And if the students didn't have those feelings, their parents probably had some of those anxieties as they thought about sending their kids and wanting to pray for them while they were there ministering. Well, think about travel in Jesus' day. You know, as they made their way from one place to another, they usually walked. And when you had to walk from Galilee down to Jerusalem, it was a long ways. Muscles would ache. Feet would be sore, dusty, it was hot and dry. You'd get thirsty along the way. There weren't nice motels to stay in like we have when we travel. It was rougher than that. When you came to the area of the hill country, hills weren't safe. Hills could hide robbers and thieves. I mean, that's what the story of the Good Samaritan is about. A man traveling from Jericho being mugged by a group of thugs that left him for dead. Took what he had. That's why people traveled in large groups or companies when they made their way because it was safer that way. There were also wild animals along the river. There were snakes in the desert. The journey was tiring and it was hard. 
but they also had great anticipation. I mean, they were going up to Jerusalem. This was a time to celebrate and praise God. They were going to the place where God had chosen to dwell among them as a people. And they came with anticipation of meeting God. So they took the risk and they traveled to Jerusalem. You see, the psalmist recognizes the dangers in traveling and being a pilgrim, living your life in this world. He understood that there were risks involved in that. So where did he look for strength? He said he lifted his eyes to the hills. Where did his help come from? Did it come from the hills? No, not at all. But he looked to the God who made the hills. You see, our helper is the one who made the universe. That's a comforting thought for all of us. Because when we look at life, life has risks. There are no guarantees on what might happen. Travel has risks. That's why we pray for travel mercies. Ministry has risks. When you step out in faith and you believe God is leading you to do something, you know, there are people who are going to question that. There are people who wonder about that. There are times when you may take a step of faith and it doesn't go as you planned. There are times when we didn't hear God right, maybe. We made a wrong decision and we had to change. Ministry has risks. Life has risks. But we can't let that keep us from doing what God wants us to do. And I would rather live my life taking those steps of faith and failing once in a while than I would never risking anything at all. God wants us to trust Him in this life knowing that He is our helper and we can look to Him in our times of need. Secondly, the psalmist reminds us here that the Lord is my watchman. The Lord is my watchman. Look at verses 3 to 8. He says of the God of Israel that He will not let your foot slip and He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And then he changes it to say also the Lord watches over you. What he is saying there is that the guardian of Israel is your guardian too. He's my guardian. He's the one who watches over us. He watches over nations. He watches over individuals. The word um, for watch in Hebrew is the word shamar. It's used six times in this passage in this passage or this psalm. And the word shamar means to keep or guard or take care of something. It could be used of a garden, keeping or tending a garden. It could be used of a flock, guarding or protecting a flock of sheep or goats. It could be used of a person who watches over a house as a watchman or a guard. And it could also be used of guarding or protecting or keeping a person. The same word is used um, in the book of Genesis when Cain responded to God's question and he said about Abel, Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's watchman? Yes, he was to look out for his brother, but Cain did not. It's also used by God when he talks about Job. And he says to Satan, he gives him permission to test Job But he says, you must not touch his life. 
God had set a protection around Job. We've looked at that passage and we've talked about how Satan can do no more than God will allow in our life. That God is our protector and our keeper. And this psalm talks about how God watches over our life constantly, by day or by night. The Lord will watch over you. He's your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. And it goes on and expresses how constant His watching is. God doesn't get weary. He doesn't fall asleep. He's never indisposed. He's never unavailable. We can come to Him any time of the day with our prayer request, and He hears us. He's not like the gods of the nations or the pagan gods like the story of Elijah and Baal when the prophets of Baal were shouting, trying to get their God's attention. You know, and Elijah kind of mocked them and said, yell louder, maybe you need to do more. Maybe he's indisposed or away or has fallen asleep. Our God's not like that. You can come to Him at any time. And He is watching over you. How God can do that, when you think of the billions of people in this world, and you think of how vast the creation is with trillions of stars in the universe, and God says, I know them all by name. That's an amazing thing. He knows the stars by name, and He knows your name too. Isaiah 40:26 says, Lift your eyes and look to the heavens, who created all these. He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. Because of His great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. This past week, we were out one night a little bit later than normal. And when we came home on a Thursday evening here, the sky was so clear. And we looked up at the sky and it was one of those remarkable nights when I think there were more stars that were visible that night than we had seen in a long time. It was beautiful. You could see the milkiness of the Milky Way as you looked overhead and knowing that you're looking right through the heart of the galaxy in which we live. And you think of all those stars that are there and God says, I made them and I know them each. And may that be a reminder to you that I know you too. I know your name. Alexander the Great was once asked how he could sleep so soundly at night when he was surrounded by so much danger in his battles. He replied that Parmenio, his faithful guard, was watching at the entrance to his tent. He could sleep because he had someone he trusted who was watching over him. We can sleep because God is watching. The Bible says, Cast all your anxiety upon Him because He cares for you. Have you learned to give God the night shift? Do you know what I mean by that? Those worries that you may carry during the day or those things that are part of your work, have you learned to give that to God and give Him the night shift? Learn to put your worries in God's hands and you will sleep much better. Those anxieties, those vain imaginations that sometimes people have. The burdens that you carry from the day. Is there something that you would like to give Him today? And just say, God, you know my heart. I've been dealing with this. I've been anxious about it. God, I give that to you. 
Help me to leave that at Your feet. Give me the wisdom and insight I need to know which way I should go or what I should do. Father, help me to trust You as I face this difficulty in my life. That is exactly what the psalmist did. That's what God wants us to do. To look to our Helper. To look to our Watchman and give Him our burdens. Thirdly, this psalm reminds us that the Lord is my shelter. He is my shelter. Again, in verses 3 to 8. In verse 5, the psalmist said that the Lord is your shade at your right hand, and the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm, and He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Those are tremendous promises that God has made to us. The metaphor of shade is an appropriate one for people who lived in Israel in a hot climate. Some of them lived in the desert region. In the desert, heat from the sun is a serious threat. Heat exhaustion can be life-threatening, sunstroke. People die from overexposure to the heat and the sun. Temperatures can reach as high as 120 degrees. And when you are in that kind of situation, shade is a welcome relief. We need that too. There are times in our life when we grow weary and we need the rest that comes from being in a place of shelter, of safety and security as we come before God. When he talks about the sun not harming you by day or the moon by night, I mean darkness brings its own threats. At night we can't always see what's out there, can we? When we don't know the way we should go and the way ahead seems kind of dark or like walking through a fog, we need someone who can lead us through that. As a child, sometimes even your bedroom at night can seem a little scary when it's dark. And you need a nightlight, something to light your way or to give you confidence that everything's okay. God is like that. God is our nightlight, if you will. He is watching, and the darkness is not dark to Him. He sees it all. And we can rest in Him. It was interesting to me as I was studying this passage, you know, and I, I read that phrase, the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. I wondered how the moon could harm you. I don't think he's talking literally about the moon, but darkness itself and what that represents. But it was interesting in a humorous way here that in ancient times people believed that too much exposure to the moon at night could drive a person mad. It's where we get the word lunacy from, from the word for moon. I have a feeling it was probably more a reference to if people were living a nightlife that was kind of wild and uh, riotous, that that's probably where that word came from. But God watches over our life by day and by night. Verse 7 strengthens it. He will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. He'll watch over your coming and your going, both now and forever. It is a promise that everywhere you go, God will be there. And He will watch over you for all time. Now this psalm is not saying that a believer will never have problems or sickness or trials in their life. They are a part of living in this world. But this psalm is a promise of God's constant presence in the midst of our trials. 
It's just like Psalm 23, verse 4. When David said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This past week I was reading in Christianity Today in the most recent recent uh, publication of that, and they had a story about Tony Snow, who's the press secretary for President Bush. Some of you have heard the story that he is battling colon cancer, a very progressive kind of colon cancer. He had had surgery and chemotherapy, and they thought they had got it all, and then it recurred. But he went back to work. He's 51 years old. He's a husband and father of three. And he's continuing his work even while battling this deadly disease in his life. And here's what he said about his experience and what's happening to him. He said, Blessings arrive in unexpected packages. In my case, cancer. And he said, I don't know why I have cancer. And on the other hand, I don't much care. It is what it is, a plain and indisputable fact. Yet even while staring into a mirror darkly, great and stunning truths begin to take shape. Our maladies define a central feature of our existence, that we are fallen, we are imperfect, our bodies give out. But despite this, and because of it, God offers the possibility of salvation and grace. And we don't know how the narrative of our lives will end, but we get to choose how to use the interval between now and the moment we meet our Creator face to face. And we need to get past the anxiety. The mere thought of dying can send adrenaline flooding through your system. A dizzy, unfocused panic seizes you. Your heart thumps. Your head swims. You think of nothing and swoon. You fear partings. You worry about the impact on family and friends. You fidget and get nowhere. But to regain footing, remember that we were born not unto death, but into life. And the journey continues after we have finished our days on this earth. We accept this on faith, but that faith is nourished by the conviction that stirs even within the hearts of many unbelievers. A belief that the gift of life once given cannot be taken away. And that those who have been stricken enjoy the great privilege of being able to fight with their might the faith to live fully, richly, exuberantly, no matter how their days may be numbered. He went on to say that the moment you enter the valley of the shadow of death, things change. You discover that Christianity is not something doughy, passive, pious, and soft. Faith may be the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, but it also draws you into a world shorn of fearful caution. The life of belief teems with thrills and boldness and danger and shocks and reversals and triumphs and epiphanies. I think of Paul traipsing through the known world and contemplating trips to what must have seen the antipods, shaking the dust from his sandals, worrying not about the morrow, but only about the moment. Here's a man struggling and wrestling with his mortality who has come to place his faith in God and saying, God, you know what you're doing. I want to live life to the fullest till the day you take me home. That's the way we are to live, putting our trust and our confidence in Him.
You know, I look at this psalm, and it reminds me that God can bring us through our trials. He can deliver us from dangerous situations, both known and unknown. I mean, how many times has God protected us from things in our life when we may not even have known the danger that was out there? But He took us in a different direction. Or He steered us down a different path. Or we made a decision in life that changed the course of our life. And God was there protecting us and guiding us. And God can bring us safely home, even through death. A few years ago, James Montgomery Boyce announced to his congregation that he was dying of cancer. As a young boy, James Boyce had attended 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. He uh, loved his pastor, Donald Gray Barnhouse. He idolized him, and at the age of 12, he wanted to be a pastor too. He went to Harvard. There he would meet his future wife, Linda. He went on to study at the University of Basel and got his doctorate and then joined Christianity Today and worked on their staff for some time. In 1968, 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, the church where he had grown up, called him to be their senior pastor. I think that's kind of interesting. I wonder if sometimes maybe there's a, a young person in our church whom God may call one day back here to work and serve and minister. He went back to that church and for 31 years he would be their senior pastor, carrying out his ministry there and he was a radio speaker for the Bible study hour. Under his leadership, the church grew and reached out as their ministry in the inner city changed. They began to minister to internationals, HIV positive individuals, inner city youth, women with crisis pregnancies and the homeless. He was involved in many different things during that time. And the church really loved him and valued his ministry. On Good Friday, 2000, two hours before he was to preach, Dr. Boyce learned that he had an aggressive form of liver cancer. His prognosis was not good. And Jim mounted the pulpit of 10th Presbyterian for the last time on Sunday, May 7, 2000. He announced to his congregation that he was dying of cancer. And he said to them, should you pray for a miracle? Well, you're free to do that, of course. But my general impression is that the God who is able to perform miracles, and he certainly can, is also able to keep you from getting the problem in the first place. Above all, I would say, pray for the glory of God. And if you think of where God most glorified himself in the history of the world, he did it at the cross of Jesus Christ. And He didn't do it by removing the cross, but He did it by taking Him through the cross. That's where God was most glorified. And that's my prayer too. On June 15, 2000, at the age of 61, James Montgomery Boyce died peacefully in his sleep just eight weeks after his diagnosis. The story that I shared is not to say don't pray for healing. No, the Scripture, in fact, in the book of James, instructs us to do that. It's appropriate to call for the elders to pray or to join with other believers in praying. But above all, we pray for God's will to be done and that God would be glorified in our life, whether by life or by death, that we would honor Him. 
It's just like Jesus prayed prior to the cross. God, if there's some other way to do this, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Eugene Peterson was so impressed by these psalms of ascent, these psalms 120 to 134, that he wrote a book about them called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I like that title. It was subtitled Discipleship in an Instant Society. He recognized the problem of our age where we live in a world where we want things so quickly. We want a life of ease, basically, and comforts and things to be removed quite soon if we encounter a difficulty or a challenge. But life isn't always like that. In fact, he said that the Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterruptedly with the Lord. It's not a fantasy trip where we experience a carefree life as we are making our way toward heaven. No, it's a life filled with challenges all along the way. But the Christian life is going to God. And in going to God, we travel the same ground that everybody else walks on. Christians breathe the same air. They drink the same water. They shop in the same stores. They read the same newspapers. They are citizens under the same government. They pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline. They fear the same dangers. They're subject to the same pressures. They get the same distresses and are buried in the same ground. But the difference is this, that each step we take, we walk with God. Each breath we breathe is a gift from God. We are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from all evil. And He will keep our life. You see, the Ascent Psalms remind us that life is a journey. It is a walk of faith and sometimes the way is hard. But God is good. He is our helper, He is our watchman, and He is our shelter. The way is good when He is our traveling companion. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the stories of faith of other men and women who have experienced trials in their life and have held on to You and You have given them the grace that they needed for each and every day. Father, thank You for these promises in Your Word that You watch over us in our travels, in our work. Whether we are away from home or at home, You know it all. And that is a great blessing to us. May we live with confidence in You. May we honor You by what we say and do. May our life reflect the glory and the grace and the goodness that is You. Father, You know the needs of each individual here this morning. And I pray that whatever is on their heart as they bring those concerns to You, that they would find that You are our shelter and our confidence. In Jesus' name, Amen.